Welcome back to another episode of The Story Behind the Business. I am Leyland Diano, and in this episode, we are chatting with Rutherford Media and Rutherford Media, that's kind of a tongue twister, Rutherford Media's owner, founder, president, chief, uh, Mitch. That's uh, a great conversation. He actually shares an office in our building. Check it out. Mitch Rutherford, this is uh, quite the quite the experience. You and I have full disclosure. Mitch Rutherford and I have a history together, so there's a rhythm that we'll get into. But uh, happy to have you on our on our episode of Story Behind the Business. Pleasure to be here. Super grateful. Um, so just to kind of take people in through it, I mean, you're uh, I want to say a serial entrepreneur. Uh, I don't even know necessarily what a serial entrepreneur is, but you're a person who embodies a lot of hustle. You have a lot of things on the go. Um, but uh, I want to get into it. You know, I see you as a young, uh, motivated guy who's out there actually doing um, the business. He's not just talking about doing the business. So we'll get into uh, into all that. But why don't you give us a little bit of a blurb on, on some of the companies that you're involved with? Yeah. So currently, uh, the Rutherford Group has five companies. Uh, under its belt. Um, number one and our main breadwinner would be MNC Directional Consulting and uh, we use drilling technology that uh, gets run in the ground and communicates to surface so we know how to steer bits in different directions and that sort of thing. Ultimately our goal there is so that we can drill more wells from a single pad location to minimize footprint on surface, so more environmentally friendly, et cetera, et cetera, more production from one surface <coughs> location. That's that company. And Next, that's, that's M, MN, MMC Drilling. MNC Directional Consulting is the right. name because we specialize in directional consulting. Now in terms uh, of... Directional drilling. Yeah, so maybe just, I mean, you're working uh, in the oil fields. That's but, correct, yeah. And then we've been disrupting. We've been taking oil field tech because the oil field essentially has had so much money for R&D and stuff with this technology that now we're bringing it into industry like civil drilling tech where uh, right now we're partnered with BC Hydro where we're drilling their uh, instrumentation holes out at the new dam at Site C uh, for pendulum instrumentation. So I mean we'll, we'll get into a little bit about about that world and how you got involved with that but why don't you kind of go down the list of the then, what, what, what you then, have with the Rutherford and then, and then from there we go into uh, Rutherford Media which spawned from my uh, well long long time ago but became an actual real and profitable business from my oil and gas career and oil and gas contacts within it, right? Um, so Rutherford Media is just a full circle business. We do social, video, web, photography, content. That's the whole thing. Big, big part of our business has been social strategy, social policy, that sort of thing for larger corporations. Because you, at the time you were working inside of those corporations or you're working with them. Exactly, um, exactly. So, you know, working with companies like Baker Hughes or seeing the transition with, you know, a ton of young staff, they're a huge multinational corporation, social media is becoming a thing through 2009. What do we do? You right. Know, how do we manage? Do we let our employees post? Do we not? That's not a thing of our business so much anymore, but that's kind of how, what got us our kickstart, so to speak. Okay. So two things yeah. we'll come back to. So that's, yeah. that, that's this, Rutherford um, Media is the second on the list that you're, the, you're building and you're growing. Exactly. The next was an idea I came up when I was a little bit younger and it was called Nutrition for Success. And I actually thought it would be the title of a book I'd write one day. Sure. 
And because you're uh, a fit guy, you look good. you look good in a t-shirt. <laughs> and I thought it would be a book that would just be like you know the full circle success. You know, right. uh, your diet, fitness, you know, right. the habits you do in a day that makes a highly effective person, right? So to speak. Um, that kind of changed over time. I, I gifted the name to my wife, and she's a registered holistic nutritionist, and she's kind of taking it that the idea I had in going with full life consulting or, you know, lifestyle consulting more so than nutrition consulting or more so than diet or, you know, fitness or business coach, we more calling it lifestyle because right. it's all the habits you do in a day that make you the person you are and the person you are is the business you create. Right. Right. And, and so the, that, that business that are you hands on, are you hands off? Do you have I'm currently hands off. Um, I'm helping publish, uh, because I love to cook. I'm helping my wife publish a couple of cookbooks within that company. And of course I'm there on the web and the media side of things, but pretty much letting it be her baby. You have enough going on that yeah, you don't exactly. necessarily need to jump in and, and become a holistic, uh, uh, nutrition coach. Exactly. Right. Um, and then, uh, you're, that's you're, number three we're on. Number four would be Pacific CX. Yeah, which is your crypto cryptocurrency company. I'm partnered with Darren Gibson. He's uh, he's got an insane resume. He's most recently um, network security consultant for CIBC Global Markets. Before that, he was the executive director of global security for BlackBerry Rim. Okay, <laughs> some crazy title like that. The guy's great genius. Um, so what we're trying to do is build a two-way terminal where you could buy, sell the top ten cryptocurrencies for fiat currency in your country. So. For example, here we'd walk up with Canadian dollars, stick Canadian dollars in the ATM, and you could either buy Bitcoin, Litecoin. So basically a crypto Ethereum. ATM. Essentially, yeah, an automated. We have big plans and scaling for that. We'd love for it to be a remittance machine. So if you could imagine it just being a terminal uh, Western Union, so to speak. So instead of going to Western Union, uh, for example, in the oil patch, I work with lots of Filipino people and they send, they're constantly going to town to send their family money overseas. So they go to a Western Union where I would like to replace that with a terminal, use blockchain technology to facilitate the transfer. And then, you know, their family could go to a terminal, say in the Philippines and get their fiat currency at a much lower cost. Are, are there any other companies doing the crypto there's, ATM? There's no, well, there's other companies in the crypto ATM space. Nobody's doing it great. And that's why we, we ran ours for a month testing, did great, did a ton of volume, but we want it to be great because nobody out there is doing it very well. Yeah, so, so then there's so some challenges that you might it, have. Yes, it's been, you know, it was in development for a year, went out, now we're back into development, so, um, so we're strapping again. So, so that's number four. That's number four. We're not done there yet. And then uh, number five, I started a company, like when we met, was Bamers Canada. Uh, that evolved into a company that we bought, Direct Image Screenworks, and now it's under this company called Sparkwood Industries, of which I've only owned 10%. Uh, right, so you're a partner in that. I'm a partner in it. Um, I run a lot of Rutherford Media clients through there. So in our full circle uh, media services, we also provide all that print collateral. And right, print so it's, you're talking about traditional print brochures, exactly. uh, cards. All your leave-behind marketing. Do you vinyl. do vinyl on the wall and stuff we, like that? We're, our vinyl's different than... Uh, Westland's vinyl in that uh, our vinyl um, we're, we're pretty much just doing like window graphics and that sure. sort of thing. Okay. you know what I mean yeah. it's uh, small decaling is huge for us so yeah and how, how, how come you got involved in a business like that um, I got into it because well ultimately then Rutherford Media I was I was into the music business right tour management right doing sound and you know you need brochures how, you yeah. need t-shirts you going back to the days when adam and i met on the road touring with headley and these kids were crowds yeah i mean i guess that's a, that's a the we've known each other for almost uh 10 years that's correct um 
first time I met you, you were the, you were TMing, tour managing for these kids wear crowns, and I was on on tour with them as a videographer. That's correct. So from and I mean I remember at that time you were a, you were not in any you weren't running businesses. You had this Justin Bieber like hair. That's correct. Uh, the biggest smile from miles <laughs> around still has the biggest smile, um, and. But even at that time, you were a partner, or you were running a bar or a yes, restaurant. Yes, I was. Uh, I was a one-third partner in a nightclub, ultra lounge, live music venue. Uh, and at that time, I had Band Merch Canada going. I was doing these kids' merch at that time. Band Merch Canada. Band Merch Canada. Band merch Canada. Yeah. 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 Sorry. I thought you said Bam Ridge. I was like Bam Ridge. I was like I thought it was Band Merch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that 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 was that, and. Uh, did I have anything else going on at the time? I guess Rutherford Media was actually called Rutherford Productions back then. Yeah, and you were, you were yeah. it was straight up like live show. You wanted yeah. to be live front shows. Of house tech. I did, yeah, and I did like uh, you know live. I do bar installs, like you know install the PA's or you know I had a couple arena contracts and that sort of thing. That was my side hustle when I wasn't touring. And I, and I, so I, I wanted to get you to talk about all that because I wanted to lead you down the path to kind of let our listeners know that you have a lot of hands in various things. You're, like I said, you're an entrepreneur. You like to hustle. You, you'd like to bootstrap and do a lot of the things yourself yeah. to see if you can grow and to scale it. So let's take it back. Where did this come from? Are your parents entrepreneurs? When did you so first this, start to become? This goes back, I think, even before my parents' time. This goes back to my, I guess would be my grandpa, Albert Rutherford. Uh, he comes from a small town, Nilberg, Saskatchewan. He owned the insurance company, the gas station, and the hardware store in that town. Ultimately, tragic story, uh, fatal car accident with uh, his parents, so my great-grandparents, uh, and they were all lost in one car accident. Um, so from there, my dad was obviously a teenager. Uh, my aunt, I think was turning 18 or 19 at the time. Uh, they liquidated two of the companies and she's like, my grandma wasn't working. She was a nurse, but then at that time, stay at home mom. So she decided, well, I've got to support the family. So she took the insurance company and ran with it, scaled, okay. scaled it, ended up buying a mid rise in Lloyd Minster. Uh, grew it was the first published uh, woman in Canadian business was the first woman to sit on the International Association of this is your mother insurance brokers no this is my aunt right my aunt aunt. Sisters. Okay, okay, okay. so it comes from that Rutherford side uh, ultimately my parents were the the long term like you know my dad worked at a potash mine for 40 years as a journeyman electrician. Hard worker. Hard worker. Potash is not, is that, that's what, it, that's what you said? Yeah, yeah. So, and that's not an easy job. Uh, he was on surface. Uh, I think he had a great career, you know. Right. I think at times he was on the production side. So when they, when, when something would go down, you know, he was the guy that would rush to fix it, so to speak. Right. Um, yeah. That's him. And then my mom did a multiple things. She was in the insurance business as well. She ended up managing the ski hill that we skied at. Uh, now she's a pharmacy tech, and ultimately they're both retired now for the most part. I mean, they're pretty So, busy. So you, I mean, you can't so, say that but you I got think, your, your So I think what I got, I got my entrepreneurship hand through, through my Rutherford side of the family. Like I said, they were business people. My aunt has been a big mentor, and I always looked up to her because, uh, you know, we would visit her. She was a single lady. She always had a cool car. You know, she was always traveling all over the world. She uh, ended up creating a company called uh, 123 Accelerated Learning. So she would take programs like Air Canada moved into Fiji, for example. And so she went and taught a whole bunch of Fijians on, you know, Air Canada's wow. policies and okay. practices and, you know, and would, you know, give them a one-week course and bring them right. up to speed, up to on, speed and teach. on the brand and all that sort of stuff, right? Uh, she's done a m 
same thing as me, had her hand in a bunch of different stuff. And I always kind of admired that. And so, so she was like, that's someone that you looked up to. Exactly. Some people would say like, Oh, I have a cool uncle who drives a call. You, you in this situation had a cool aunt. Yeah. Which is awesome. Yeah. Which is great. And I looked up to her cause you know, being a female in business in the seventies and eighties was hard, right? Absolutely. So, yeah, uh, absolutely. So it was great. So, and, and she grinded for our family too. Right. So she ended, she essentially, you know, kept that company going to, feed my other aunts and uncles, so to speak. So, so how did, how did you, Mitch Rutherford, get into business then? Like when, well, when, did, I, when did you get that entrepreneurship I, bug? When I was around, I, I would say I was probably even as early as 12 years old and stuff. And you start, you know, you want things, you want to do things. At the time we were into ski racing and getting very competitive. My parents, you know, very middle class, you know, we could only afford certain amounts of equipment and gear and races and, you know, wanting knowing that we were good you know we were already beating city kids as the farm boys so to speak but you know you wanted you wanted to be on the same level as them so and it was kind of like one of those things well like well if i pay for half of my ski equipment next year can we get better stuff or that sort of thing right Right. and it started there right and then so what so what was some of the first so so the very first thing i did is i uh i I actually tried to apply for a couple jobs my parents found out i was applying for jobs i ended up getting in shit so like you're a kid you don't need to work you know uh, you don't need money, you know, just focus on school, being a kid, this and that. And I was it's like, that's not good enough for me. So then one day I got an idea. It's like, I'm just going to go knock on doors and ask people to cut their lawns. And that's exactly what I did. I just started on my home street, started walking around town, knocking on everybody's door, asking if I could cut the grass. Ended up with like six clients, super choked parents. Because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't ask them if I could do right, it or anything, right? And how, I was and a how, kid. how old were you, 12? 14? I was 14, I think, when, I, when that finally happened, yeah. And uh, I ended up doing it. I ended up making good cash and using my dad's lawnmower, of course. Did you have to pay your dad? <laughs> yeah, I filled it up with gas. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Dad. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. <laughs> so, so but why ultimately, we, that's, that's where I think I got my first entrepreneurial start, and that turned into doing, like, you know, other yard maintenance and then sure. into shoveling snow in the winter in Saskatchewan. It sucked. And, right. And um, ultimately, I always had a knack <coughs> for photography and video back then. Like, as kids, we always made, like, you know, jackass was cool back then. Of course. And, stuff, and we had more. And then, so when you were, you were 14, you, this was 2000 and... 2002? 2002, okay. I want to say. I yep. graduated in 06, so that sounds about right. Okay. Yeah. So 2002, you, you have all the stuff. You know, you're seeing all these other people with, with toys. Yeah. Your parents don't necessarily have the funds because they're, yeah. you know. Well, I mean, and, 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 and to their, you know, on their side, they, we were in everything. Like, you know, my brother and I did everything. We skied. We had a boat, you know. So you had it, you had an active life. We had had a very active life. We were in cadets. We were in, you know, we were traveling all over the place for skiing, you know. Were you, were you in like ski comps? Like, yeah, for sure. Like what kind of skiing background did you have? I, uh, I raced for a lot of years. Uh, I was the gold medalist in the Canada games. Oh five Jones soda sponsored me. I competed in the worlds in Whistler in Oh six. Where that did was you kind of the end? Where did you learn career. to ski? I mean, where would you go from Alberta? <laughs> so like, funny, what, like, would you guys build story, your own hills? Yeah, like, <laughs> funny story is like, well, in Saskatchewan, uh, Mississippi is the name of our home hill. It's about twenty minutes from our house, and it's hill. on a river. It's on a. It's in the river valley, um, but funny enough, the hill is big enough you can host a fifth slalom, which is forty gates, so forty slalom turns, small tight turns. 
and that's as big as it is. You can rip down the mountain about 30 seconds. Were you wearing Were you wearing tights, ski of tights? Course. Yeah, yeah. There's pictures around if you look. Yeah, you have to tell me. I want to see. I want to see. And your actual handle right now is Mitch Skis. Yeah. On, so, on social. Yeah. It, with business and everything and grinding, I kind of I I lost my skiing passion in in building all these companies the last few years. So in this past year, I really made a commitment to get back into it. So right. That's uh, and it's great. Tell 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 us tell us the racetrack story. The racetrack story. Okay, yeah. So because that was a post. So, I mean, that, yeah, that was going a back going back stuff. to cutting grass and and shoveling snow and and my very junior adolescent business. Uh, I saved all my money and like I said, into photography and video, I bought myself a Panasonic HVX, which was super cool camera back then. HVX 200, this first uh, Panasonic one that shot HD. Yeah, uh, uh, Precursor to the, or was it precursor or is it successor to the DVX 100, which is a very popular yeah. camera. For those of you who don't know, a Panasonic DVX. Or sorry, I bought the DVX. You bought the DVX. I bought the DVX first, then we got into the HVX. Yes, yeah, so the D- D- DVX, DVX was, was mini DV. Yeah, DVX yeah. was mini DV, and it allowed 24 frames per second. So, in the world of uh, digital uh, digital filmmaking, sh- being able to shoot at 24 frames gave a film look, and that's why the the DVX so was cool. <laughs> before that. I mean, this is for camera nerds. Um, before that, you were looking at the Canon XL1, which was more, a more an independent, you know, yep. prosumer also kind of camera. Also, great camera. Great camera, but as soon as like the DVX came out, it was a game changer. So, how, how so, so you saved up money to buy that camera? So I That's bought that. I bought a DVX. That's what I wanted. I did all the research online, um, and my parents they always had this thing. They they didn't really care whatever we could do anything we wanted. They never really cared about that. They just cared that we maintained. Yeah, uh, an eighty over average in school, so right. percent average. And so I cut a deal with my parents, like you know, this is getting old because I'm into business, I'm into all these other things, you know, school sucks. So they gave this incentive; they'd buy me a MacBook. So I kept my eighty percent average for the year. They bought me a MacBook, which was pretty sweet. And then I got this; I had the money saved. I got this camera. So here I have like basically a media company in a box, right? I got a camera and a MacBook, and uh, intuitively. I was like, I need this camera. This camera costs a lot of money, especially for a kid. Yeah, 2000 and if it was what, two, how, how old were you? I was 04, so I was like 16. So 04, 05, camera just started to come out. So top end, you're paying five to six grand for yeah, it. Yeah, and I got mine used, so I don't think I was quite there, but it was close. Right, three, yeah. you probably paid at least three bills for yeah, it. exactly. Right, okay. So, yeah, so then um, I got this camera. I had this instinct, like, how do I make money with this camera? And I was into car racing, I was into ski racing, I was into all these events. It happened to be summer, so I was like, well, I'm going to go to tech in the morning at the racetrack. I'm going to film the day, edit it all into like a day at the track, feature every car at least once. And that's what I, that was my pitch to drivers. They would roll in and be like, hey guys, I'm here filming the day. Your car will be featured once. It'll be a highlight of the day reel. And, and then how much you sell it for, and, DVDs? And I was like, yeah, I was selling DVDs, and I said, 30 bucks cash, and I'll mail it out to you. So I had to, like, write down, had a notebook, wrote down everybody's address, took their $30 cash. Yeah, and this is this is 2000, and even like, 2005, people don't have, people didn't have, the, like, people didn't have cameras yeah. on their phone. God, barely had email back then. Yeah, so, <laughs> so you, and you weren't able to post it necessarily online. This yeah, is, like, uh, physical. Fa- well, but I signed up for Facebook in 06, so this was right. 03, like... Yeah, I mean, dude, I, th- th- it's so it's, funny that you have that story. I mean, I, that's why. I mean, that's and that's kind of how it started. And I didn't really necessarily expect anybody to buy. I just like right. cars. I was there racing my car, seventy two Cuda, and I, uh, 
I, I just thought it was cool, right? Like, that's it. I was passionate about it. And I think, you know, people bought into that passion, right, when, uh, when I was selling it. And ultimately, I, everything every driver bought, I sold well over 100 of them, you know? Right. Which basically paid for the camera in one day. So then it was like, that's like a bad drug, right? Yeah. Like, I can make that much money in one day. Yeah. You know, so all, but ultimately go home, sort through a full days of footage on DV, yeah. you know, old technology and rendering all that. It took quite a while and then print all those DVDs. <laughs> yeah. Did you make any covers or? Yeah, any? every, it was legit. I did, did the whole thing. Man, I, I mean, so you, I mean, you probably don't know this about me. When I was in high school, um, you know, I was in all the film classes and stuff that we had. We had a really good film program, but we didn't have any HD cameras. Like, the DVX was not even around. This is, like, 2001, 2002 that I graduated. But from, like, 2000, it was, like, a span of, like, 1999 to 2002. Every year, I would go to the local football team, and I'd film their games. And then at the end of the year, I would put together this highlight tape. It would be oh, cool. an intro, offense, defense, bloopers, and then an overall like team one. And I had like five different sections. It was like a 45-minute DVD of their season. That's awesome. And I would slang them for $30 to $45. Now, a football team there, like I was making maybe $1,600 at the end of it, but I was yep. being able to creative. I made extra posters of each individual player. Um, again, it wasn't like nobody asked me to do it. I just went out and I started yep. to do it. And because there was demand, you kind of get that thing where people are paying for your art. So that, I think that's an interesting, the reason I bring that up is like you and I have very similar backgrounds in terms of like you're taking a, something that you're supposed to create art for and you're actually making commerce out of it and you're giving people, I mean, exactly. you get the excitement from those drivers to be like, dude, I love yeah. the fact that I got to see myself on camera because they, at that time, 2005, people aren't used to it. It was a big deal. Yeah. It was a big deal. You know, I mean, like, still probably is. I mean, I mean could go and, and the ski races was great too because you know nobody's standing out there. I would hire my friends, like, and then at that time, you know, like whatever, a couple of cases of beer and pizza at the end of the day, and you know, we'll go go film ski races for a day, and you know, ultimately sell them to all the parents at the right. banquet. It's for the parents, it, most right? likely and for the ski. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's not necessarily for the skiers, but you know, nobody was doing that at that time. There was no such thing, and nobody had like you know. We didn't even have barely BlackBerry had a good camera back. No, then. I mean you not know, like, two thousand and five. You couldn't, couldn't. for sure. No, no. I mean, so, I, everything uh, was garbage back then. Yeah, and I mean, I look back at some of those DVDs, and they're pretty garbage too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for the time. No, awesome. like I, you know what? I it's funny. I uh, th this summer I had a I went away. We are we've been in the same fantasy football league for about fifteen years, sixteen years with the same guys, and a couple of them were on the teams because my younger brother played on the team, so I was I'd go and I'd feature his team, yeah. but a couple of guys on that what were quoting like this that this year of the highlight video this this tape was the best year, <laughs> and they're all talking about it. it's like you know you're I'm, awesome. I'm using like Pantera I'm using like yep. Foo Fighters you get the people that give you crap for using something that's a little bit more mainstream. <laughs> Yeah, Some of these guys are like huge hardcore metal people. So it's like, it's funny how that type of emotion lives with people. Like that's, yeah. that, those tapes, those, I'm sure there's people. I remember people... I made a, a sponsor, when I was skiing, I made a sponsorship video and I had a bunch of friends come and help use my camera and shoot me skiing. And then I ultimately cut it. And then it's still funny in the skate snow scene that I, I was in Westside and they're like, oh yeah, you're the guy that cut the sponsorship video to Postal Service. Like people still remember that. That's crazy. <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, that, again, it's it that. That's why. That's one of the reasons why we do this podcast. 
we want the emotion out of someone's business because yeah. people are going to remember these types of stories for you versus like, oh, you yeah. did a, you did a great piece on a, a, a client's. I mean, it's right. good stuff. I mean, there's so many great startup stories. Like, yeah, we hustled, we grinded, we did a seed round finance, we got all this money, and now you know, like, right. there's that story happens all the time. I mean, I love hearing them all, but but I mean, in terms of your story, so did, yeah. like so. That race car track, like, where do you go from there? So then, so, so, then so did from you there, like, I, I went into so then we go into winter. I did the like, I was talking about the skiing. Uh, I ended up filming. Um, we had a really quality arts council in our town, they raised a ton of money early on, and we brought like really quality talent to our town. And we had a really nice theater, good PA, that sort of thing. And um, so we brought a lot of good talent and ultimately they would throw a dinner theater every year with local people acting in it and they did a quite a good job so I ended up filming that and stuff and um, my other passion being music um, so I played in a band I did sound I did sound for the Arts Council and um, as I got older I would say the sound got me busier so right. I started working for a sound company in a nearby city and then the camera kind of started collecting dust you know what I mean and right. I was doing sound, and that's kind of how Rutherford Media was started. Right. And that took me on the road with, you know, gold platinum selling artists uh, then. Right. You know. So so how did, so, you know, it sounds to me like you had the attitude, you had the drive. Yep. How did you go from being, you know, obviously, like you were saying, Rutherford Media hasn't gone anywhere, but really, you know, directional consulting and drilling. You obviously went and worked on the oil patch to make money. Yeah, that's right. And, and then from that, you got into consulting. So give exactly. us exactly. So like, I, like I told you guys when I, I sent you my little uh, resume there of companies and, and jobs, and it's it's a ridiculous list. But I always say that I've never really worked for anybody. But I guess that's not a hundred percent true. Um, I've always I, you got to pay the, the bills. Yeah, in the past, I've I've picked up a, a long list of jobs that ultimately had an end goal to them, like. You know, I'm going to go work at this place for what X amount of time because I need this amount of capital to execute this business or to do right. this right. And um, when I went to the oil patch, I was Rutherford Productions was doing installs. We were touring on the road. Um, business was just picking up, and I was sporadic. So I was like, well, I'm going to go make some good money for a few months until my next tour. And then I got there, and then you know, being new to the scene. I was asking around, I'm like, what are those guys down there in those, you know, offices make, you know, that are sitting watching the rig all day? And they're like, oh, they're, you know, $1,000, $2,000 a day is what they make. And then I just got thinking in my head, like, and, and like, you never see these people come around too often, right? The drilling engineer, the directional driller, which is essentially what I am, and this and that. And they're doing their thing down there. And I'm like, I could do that and run my company, right? you know. Uh, I'm going to work as hard as I can and learn as much as I can to get there as soon as possible. So I ended up working on the drilling rigs for about four years. And that was on and off in between doing some touring and in between running my other businesses, the bar, um, and all that sort of thing. Right. So I think... So, I, this so, so, so from, from, from there, I mean, it ultimately got me into consulting. And at the time, I was probably the youngest consultant in How old were you around there? 25? 24. 24, okay. When I started MNC. So, so you started 20, at, at 24, you started MN, MMC, MNC, yeah. con, uh, Drilling Consulting. Because yeah, we're seven years this year, yeah. Seven years this year, yeah. Okay, so how long were you a rig hand for on, on the rigs? Was it four, a rig four, hand? Yeah, yeah, four years. Okay. Yeah, and I worked my way up the ladder, like I said. And I probably moved up the That's And that's the thing I loved about the oil patch was it's very entrepreneurial. 
it'll like just like a business it gives back what you put in so if you go there and you work extremely hard and you learn and you do your job you know and put out essentially you know you'll it'll reward you just like your business right right like i i, I did do a brief stint in a union environment and i couldn't stand it because no matter how hard i worked i could never get in front of the guy with the number ahead of me kind of thing right and i guess the other thing about it too is that i for anybody who is looking for a side hustle or looking to start their dream business, I think the the thing that I really admired with you is that you're going all in on your other businesses, but you still make sure that your main source, your main cash flow stream is intact. A lot of people when, you know, you could have got one big gig or one job with Rutherford Media client that gives you that juicy pay grade and all of a sudden now you quit doing your your number one cash flow stream, which is which is essentially MNC, right? Right. Yeah. So the question then, you know, as you're building MNC, you know, how how does it go? You're out on the patch for a couple of months. You right. come back. Well, you. Uh, so so it's been traditional like uh, consultant supervision. So I get tied to a project uh, with a producer and a client, and I'm there to supervise that very specific part for that length of that project while I'm there. So it could be any length of time. Sometimes I've gone away for quite a while. To supervise right. a project and um but we're trying to disrupt that right now and that's what's working really well with being here in workspace and that sort of thing is we're trying to make what i do my job remote and which will ultimately be operated by other people under my supervision so to, so to speak um just with the technology we have over the last few years in the oil patch it's like leaps and bounds right Right. So, so do, you, do you find you have a knack for seeing a gap in a certain area and then attacking that gap? I, th- I think so. Like, I mean, I saw it at, at 20 years old, I saw an opportunity where these people are making a ton of money and ultimately my job is heavy engineering, heavy on math and being a young, smart computer and, and computer savvy. And in the oil patch doesn't really attract computer savvy people, right? <coughs> no. Especially and since so you got to work your way up the, the inside, time, right? Directional was new, new-ish then. Like it Explain, was, can, can you kind of So directional go, drilling is like where you, you drill a hole straight down and then you build curve and angle to so, so you're eventually drilling hor- exactly horizontal to the say the earth's crust so um, you know we might drill down say 3,000 meters vertical and then 3,000 meters across right and what we do is make sure we calculate how to get from there to here and we have all the technology in the ground that helps us steer and communicates to surface you know to let us know where we are so we know where to point the bit and how to get there so why would a why would a company why would a, a company that is operating a rig pay out or consult out like why don't they have people on the inside doing that so there's in the oil business there's the oil company so let's use shell as an example because they're big uh so shell they'll contract a drilling contractor let's say precision drilling because they're big in that space precision drilling just provides the the rig and the rig hands that work the rig then if you want to drill a directional well you got to hire a directional company essentially i consult for a firm there and then that's my connection to the rig to the oil company right? okay and then same with geology you need a geologist so then they hire a geologist consulting firm and a drilling engineer right drilling engineer for shell would consult directly to shell so, ha- so you put this whole package together which ends up being a team of say 30 guys between days and nights crew 
to right. okay. execute a, a, a well. Right? So now, do you are you up there? Are you living in camp? Are you bringing up your own gear? Yeah, like so you of? live like I've got an office slash living quarters right on location. Like you know, I could throw a rock from my door to the rig, and you live right there. So you're with the rig hands. hands uh, yeah, exactly. Do they and know you or do they? Yeah, you, you get like I often joke like there's lots of guys I know better than my own wife sometimes, <laughs> but you know you get to know people very well, especially living. That close, you know, you know, some, sometimes you can't necessarily get to a town or a city, so, you know, you're out there. And sometimes I say, like, you know, this rig, I'm a cowboy. On that rig, it's city boys. You, you're always changing your sort of... It, and it's like, that's, what I think, why I'm good at sales is because you kind of have to be everybody's best friend. Right. I always say directional drilling is like 60% being a good person, 20% math, 10% luck, 10% mother nature, you know? Right. Because you're drilling in geology, like... You never know what's down there, right? For sure. And then the luck is whatever. But really, it's being a people person. You know, you, is that so? Is that how you kind of get more work with your uh, consulting company? You you know people, or you exactly. cold calling? It's, like it's how, all, how do you get in business? I, they, it's always like you're as good as your last job. So I I had got a ton of accolades for uh, the performance we did in one of these fields. We drilled about a hundred wells uh, near Spirit River, and uh, we took the wells down the efficiency from twenty days to down down to like eight yeah okay and so that's part of our job as as consultants you're we're saving like, that we're you're like saving part that of money. our sale is performance optimization so within the realm of the work i do is optimizing performance okay so, so but if you're going to a new client or a new rig uh how are you pitching them are you pitching them with a deck are you pitching them or someone's giving a reference like how right how are you acquiring in you know it, more? It, it's 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 funny it, the oil and gas business is so who you know like the technology like between companies is so competitive and so the same there's nothing left anymore that's like proprietary, so to sure. speak. You know, like we've got a few like you know bullets in our bag. You know, but, yeah, but you hustled hard. You're yeah, a great exactly. personality. Guys on camp don't want to kill exactly. you. Exactly. You want and then performance, right? You got to right. perform, right? So, um, yeah. t- so t- what? I mean, living in a, you know camp life is it whatever? Like everybody thinks. I remember growing up, and you you hear about the people going you know, my brothers went and worked on the rigs and stuff and you hear it's a really rough area to kind of go and yeah it very much can be it's very much civilized though now i think from when i started uh like when i was touring with these kids and working the rigs in between like it was really hard back then uh because I everything's think, booming so people like yeah hand over and, and you and just money. get and you get like you just get all kinds of people you know like one of the best hands i ever worked with was a school teacher that like, just essentially wanted to go make more revenue for his family right. so you know um but that being said, I, I've always enjoyed it. I've always enjoyed life on the road. You know, like I like touring with bands. I like, you know, going to different rigs, meeting different people, and traveling for business. You know, I was just in Toronto doing sales for Rutherford Media. The that life on the road is kind of fun. Tell tell me one of the thing. Give me uh, give us perspective. What's one of the biggest things you've learned? being a consultant and work on the rigs like what's a big takeaway that you're now going to use uh, and apply for all I gotta say businesses? humility and uh, humility and uh and, and humbleness is a big thing I've learned like so picture me 24 years old I walk into a role where I'm and everybody knows like that you, what you get paid so to speak right they like guys they get the they figure yeah they figure so you walk in and there's a guy that's 40 years old running he's the driller you know running the rig 40 years old, he's been there for 20 years, and now I've got to go and try and tell this guy what to do. And I'm 24. You know? He's likely going to tell me to pound sand. Right. <laughs> right? So how do you so, But you got to manipulate him. you got to become his friend. You know? What's worked for you guys in the past? You know? What? You know? 
how do you guys usually do this? What's this? And then I, I never tell them to directly do anything. It's like, how do you feel about, you know, because I think outside of the box and I see new things and I'm an early adopter, and, you know, I've got an open mind. So I just, I'll approach a guy like that and be like, how do you feel about doing this? Or what do you think would happen if we tried this? And ultimately they come around, but first befriending them, right? Building right. a relationship there and then finding out how they do their things, maybe give them a couple of high fives on right. the way to boost them up. But yeah, you walk into somewhere and as a 24 year old, then try and tell somebody with my age in experience, right. <laughs> you right. know, what to do. It, it, it could be, it was very challenging. And, and, Ultimately, I just always said I was 30 years old when people ask me because I felt like you got a certain right. level of respect. I, I always tell people I've been 30 years for the last 10. Right. <laughs> you know? right. Yeah, you're trying, to, you're trying to win people over. you got to win. Yeah, winning people was, is the hugest thing in the consulting game. Do, do you find... Because they're hiring you for your professional opinion. So right, why okay. would a 24-year-old have a professional opinion? Yeah, and, uh, you're, they're right yeah. to tell you to pound sand. <laughs> they're right. But, you know, ultimately... I. I did have a lot of great ideas and ultimately was, uh, it, what's hilarious is one of the best years in MNC's business, I was 25. How come? Um, I think one, it was, the oil patch was really busy. For right, one, which, so timing was perfect. Timing was perfect, right. timing was perfect. And I had a lot of great wins and a little bit of luck too. You know, I had some projects go really well, so, you know. Just everything kind of collided at the same time. Collided. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think there was a good stroke of luck in there, which, then propelled me and you know reputations everything it's a small now especially it's a very small oil patch so people know if you've what you've done right okay so, um let me but, let me ask you a couple quick questions here um i mean i feel like we can chat for days um yeah. I, I definitely want to there's some there's a lot of knowledge that you have so i kind of want to be able to give people with some you know takeaways and some thoughts on, uh, on what they could do to maybe improve their position in terms of uh, them being an entrepreneur themselves or just working in right. an area, right? I think you have enough variety in your work history. Um, give, me, give me insight into if someone was to say, you know, I have a lot of ideas, you know, how do I juggle them all? I mean, you seem to have multiple things on the go. You have five active businesses that you're working on. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you're not putting as much effort into all five and you have other partners, obviously. Right. But... You know, what do you say to somebody who wants to actively pursue a few things at the same time? It's hard. You know, like, it's, it's, it's really hard. You know, half the reason why I'm here is, is because we want to go to Feed It On Rutherford Media, right? We see, right. you know, it, when you sit down, when we sat down at the end of the year with the accountant and you're doing the books, you're like, holy shit, like, we're actually doing serious business. There's serious margin here, you know? Let's explore. Rutherford Media was always that sort of like, okay, I don't have a consulting job. Pick up the phone, hustle. Okay, I've got a website. I've got a video. I've got a photo shoot. Right. Right. And and that was the in-between, right? But yeah. ultimately, when we added it up, we're like, we're doing serious business and, and closing sales too, right? right? So, so that – I, I mean, I, I, would say, I would say like start one at a time, you know, especially if you're new, new to business, right? I started with one company, you know, and learned the business space first. And then, and then you know you need help too, right? You can't do everything on your own. I mean, partnerships, or are yeah. you talking about like just referrals? Like how? Yeah. Well, I think well, you well you need help in all all yeah. areas, but yeah, I, I mean partnerships. Uh, you know, if you can afford an employee or a, you know an admin or you know to to help you along the way with all the work because it's hard to bootstrap multiple companies at the same time. Well, you know, I'm seeing that now too. Like I'm taking 
you know, my, lots of, some of my company's didn't even have websites, right? right? Because they were operating on just my network. Right. You know, we didn't necessarily need, I didn't want a website because I wasn't ready to go that big. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah, you were picking it up as a variety of work and, and try to help those yeah. ebb and flows. But so when you, do you find, do you feel like if you're going to be building Rutherford Media that your consulting business is going to uh, suffer? And, and like actually. I'm not going to say it's suffering. I'm going to, or suffer. I'm going to say it's going to change. And, and it's changing because the oil industry is changing. Okay. Right? Sure. Uh, and I don't necessarily want to be um, I an think, oil guy. I don't necessarily. Yeah, exactly. I don't want is it to be an oil the, guy. Is it because of the uh, the negative the, the well, negative connotation? That I you think get from it's, it? there's a negative connotation because a lot of oil and gas isn't a part of the conversation, right? And uh, again, that's where rather for media has seen some wins, right? Is getting companies communicating, you know, the positives. Of the, that? Well, well, and what they're actually doing, and and, and uh, educating people. Okay. You know, because you can let a story run forever on social media and let the keyboard, you know, cowboys like, yeah, you know, make up their own whatever. Sure. So, so you're 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 basically saying like, oil and gas has been really good to you. It's been really good. It's been a great start. Ultimately, it's ultimately, it's not my passion. It's became it became something that I actually like. When I was a roughneck, I hated it. Okay. But then it became something I really loved and became really passionate about. Like the science. You must have liked it for the first the yeah. first season where you could call yourself a roughneck. <laughs> or yeah. did you now get, the, get roughneck like or rig pig? Yeah, roughneck. Yeah. <laughs> the the uh, I mean the money was obviously great. It helped me do a lot of things. I mean we tried and failed a lot of businesses in between there too, right? So, you know. I mean, and when you got into it at a 20-year-old, like, it was booming at that time, right? That's right. That's right. So, um, but it had a purpose. But then when it came to the becoming a directional consultant, the, the amount of engineering and the numbers and the math, and that that's stuff that I really, like, I'm a nerd, right? Like, I sure. like that. I'm like you, like, I'm a gearhead, yeah. you know? Do you see yourself just and, kind of closing the business and then having other people well, that Yeah, exactly. So I think what will happen is, ultimately, I won't be a consultant that goes out to the field. Uh, what we're looking at doing as far up a remote command center here which will monitor rigs in the oil patch and right. I'll have a couple employees here uh, that will do that uh, around okay. the clock and we'll do remote supervision so I don't think MNC will necessarily die it's just going to shift into kind of a different business model and it's also what the industry is dictating so I'm just keeping I'm not necessarily keeping up with the times I'm kind of getting ahead of the times right because that's where it's going or it will be there you know there's right. it's not happening so much I would say there's like maybe 10% of rigs in Canada right now are going remote. So, so in, in Rutherford Media, are you focusing strictly, strictly on like industrial yeah, companies or oil and gas? Or are you? I mean, Rutherford Media, we've worked with people in all industries. And I, that's where we got our start was in industrials. And we speak that language very well. Um, it's a good sell for us because of my background. But I think we'll, we'll ultimately sell to anybody, right? All right. Is it like so... Are you art? Are you passion of business? Like, what? Where's like? What do you love? I, I love to be honest, and and like, I mean, if you asked me this question ten years ago, it would have been different. But uh, ultimately, I've come to love business. Like, I don't care what the business is. Like, if you're selling real estate, or if you're selling media, or I'm selling a, a drilling product in the oil and gas business, I just love like the chase and the hustle, right? Right. You know, the deal's the pretty blonde at the bar, and you've got to close, and you know. <laughs> Well, you have a pretty blonde wife, I do, so yes. you did close. Blonde, yeah. <laughs> I did close well on that, <laughs> but you know what I mean. I, I love that the uh, there's, and I love like growing companies and efficiencies and optimizing, and it's that's become my thing. And it's not 
I'm not necessarily partial to any one industry, you know? Right. Yeah, and you, like, so, and before, because you were so like nomadic, I guess, in your business and you're away, the, your biggest change in business this year, you did take a spot at your workspace in Langley and the right. co-working space. Uh, is it because you wanted to forge those partnerships for help as you it, went on or what Exactly. Is, well, networking. And I mean, obviously we've got a good JV thing going on with agency. Yep. Right. And, uh, we're building that slowly. Um, ultimately I've ran my businesses from a bedroom in my house for 12 years. And I was like, it's time to put big boy pants on. Right. <laughs> and I made a lot of money at that too. But at some point, you know, I, I think you get to a plateau and you're like, okay, now I need, you need to, a shift. You need a change. You need a shift. Like, you know, I want to button up a shirt and come to right. the office every day. And, and how does, how good do you, and, and I look on your social media when you show up before everybody or you leave before everybody, I know that gives you a little bit of juice. How, how, how yeah. good does that feel when you're the person rolling into a beautiful building and you're the first one here? Oh, it's great. I mean, it's great. And, and it legitimizes our business too. Like it's nice to have us like forever. I didn't have my businesses on social media cause it's my house. Right. Or, uh, or on Google maps, you know, like I put Pacific CX there and it's a currency exchange. That's the nearest, you know, I've got people calling me every day. Like what's your USD foreign exchange, right? Like, right. and I haven't even done anything with the company yet. Right. Right. So it's great to like, just see those little things starting to happen. Right. Um, uh, and then, and obviously network with all the people in the building is great. Right. You know, it gets like, it's hard to have a meeting at your house. You're always going out and on the road. So it's, it's a nice type of place to meet people. In all your businesses and everything that you've done, do you think that you sales is your strongest point? Maybe. I, I could work on sales, I think. I think sales is like playing guitar or piano or, or, yeah, or doing If a you sport. don't do it, you're going to be rusty for it. Exactly. You've got to do it day in, day out. You've got to have a plan. Got to know what you're going to say to people. Exactly. You got to be... And you have to have passion. You have to have confidence in your product. I, I, I did one of my sales jobs is I did sales for a print company. Ultimately, I got the job because we were wholesaling to this print company through Band Merch. And I needed some extra revenue during the time. So I was like, yeah, I'll go do some sales for them. I ultimately hated their sales model. I didn't like their pricing. I didn't like the product. And, and the or training. the guy I was working for. Yeah. So then I got to pick up the phone and try and sell this shit. And I don't even believe in it. Right. You know. It's hard. You've got to, when you do sales, you ultimately have to believe in what you're selling. Like right. you have to, you have to pick up the phone and I, I'm calling this person. I don't feel bad that I'm selling them anything because I'm adding value to their day. Right. You know what I mean? But ultimately I think I can always work on sales. I, I think that's, I don't, I wouldn't say it's my strongest point. Obviously every dollar I make these days is because of my sales, but I think it's something that everyone has to work on all the time. But I think I'm, I'm really good at, you know, managing companies and people and optimizing projects, you know, like the stuff I've done in the oil, like, you know, my results from that. Right. Right. Managing projects has been Huge. You know, a great win for me. Exactly. You know, and that's where Rutherford Media wins. And that's why like we, we do really well on our bottom line in that company is because our projects in the past have been very well managed. I mean, and I might be biased to say this, but you're an exciting person to watch um, evolve and grow on social. How can everybody follow you or, or see what you're up to? So you can follow uh, Rutherford Media. It's just Rutherford or Results Rutherford Media, right? Yeah, we'll have all I the links. Yeah, I think, that's, I think that's what it is. And then uh, myself, I'm just uh, Mitch Dotskis on Instagram. You can follow me there. Find us, search us up on Facebook or. Or whatever. And we'll have all the all of your handles in the show notes. Yeah, sweet. 
What's uh last out? What's a what's a big thing that uh, people can look out for this upcoming year? Like what's a what's a thing that you're targeting um, that you're that you're shooting for this upcoming year besides being completely successful? In <laughs> I would say completely successful. Yeah. What th- what can they expect from me? Yeah. I think I'm going a lot on my personal brand too right now. So um, some more speaking engagements, more things like this are going to be happening. Uh, a big thing Rutherford Media is doing is a video series highlighting entrepreneurs like ourselves. Um, and we're teaming up with uh, a big sponsor on that to be yet to be just spoken so, of. So stay tuned. So stay tuned. Yeah, exactly. So it'll be great. Um, a little different than enough of the fluff, but right. um, it'd still be great. It's going to highlight a lot of great BC uh, influencers, professionals, businesses. That's exciting. Yeah. It's Can't wait good. to see that series. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I can't wait to work on it. <laughs> Shameless plugs. <laughs> Shameless plugs. Shameless plugs. Thanks, uh, thanks for coming on, Mitch. Yeah, Appreciate thank you, it. Adam. Okay, Cheers. bye.